on the other hand like he's obviously like basically a cartoon version of an archaeologist like yeah. none of these things actually exist in the form that we see them in these movies where it's like there's booby traps and you go in and you like push if you like push on the right stones like this thing pops out it's almost like it's almost like the the artifacts were like waiting for somebody to like come in and like put in the right you know mm -hmm. combination for the safe and then take them and like there's almost this feeling that like because indiana jones is the one who can figure it out then like that gives him more ownership to to be able to take it because it was almost like placed there waiting to be taken Hello and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week on the podcast, we are going to be discussing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But before we get into that, I just want to mention this is a uh, Nebula original podcast. There's a few ways you can support the podcast if you want to help us keep it going one way is to listen on nebula where you'll get episodes a week early and without any ads you can go to nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning to sign up you'll get a discount if you use that code that'll support the podcast as well and you'll get access to those early episodes and a bunch of bonus episodes that we've made so check that out you can also support our patreon and get access to our discord server where we hang out and discuss upcoming movies and just chat about film in general links to that are in the description for now let's get into the episode so uh it had been a while since i had seen any of these uh so in preparation for this i went back and i watched uh the final installment of the previous the um, last crusade and then mm -hmm. i also watched the crystal skull um and that ended up being uh, like a very interesting contrast i'm glad i did that because I think it made the parts about the crystal skull that don't feel as strong stick out uh, to me a little bit more watching those back to back. Um, but there was also some interesting thematic resonance between the two. Um, so yeah, I, I think this will be, this will be a fun discussion, but give me a little rundown of like maybe your relationship to this franchise. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about the crystal skull when it came out? And then how did you feel rewatching it now? Um, yeah, that's going to be a pretty short story because I don't really have that much of a connection with Indiana Jones. I feel like it's, it's very much a piece of Americana, if I... Yes, At least true. based on, like, when I started watching, like, uh, film YouTubers like Chris Stockman, um, predominantly him, but, like, some others too, it felt like to them Indiana Jones was such an essential element of their personal film history uh whereas for me here in europe that wasn't that much the case you know i'd seen the first three movies but um you know they would play on cable every now and then but it weren't like big events or like big cultural yeah. things beyond that and uh i think i, I i'd even seen the first movie only once uh, because for some reason they tended to replay the second and the third one more often, at least in my, to my recollection, because I remembered more clearly, I revisited all of them uh, later on, as I obviously saw everyone talking about how 
how much of a big deal these movies really were in terms of like great action and adventure pieces and uh, that sort of stuff. Um, but I remembered much of the second movie, The Temple of Doom, and I also remembered pretty much of the third one. But the uh, the, the the first one, the, the one that started it all, was actually like I didn't remember it any of it basically to the point where I was even wasn't even sure if I'd seen it at all when I was right. young but um but yeah I always enjoyed them I thought they were fun um perfect cable rewatch movies when you're 10 years old um even though they're quite violent and I had the same with Crystal Skull the Crystal Skull where it kind of surprised me oh yeah these these movies they're not they're not like the adventure movies that we have nowadays they still had like melting faces and yeah. people being eaten alive by ants and stuff and the the temple of doom had that scene where someone's heart gets ripped out uh which i remembered vividly from <laughs> seeing it when i was a child yeah. but um um but yeah i i actually don't remember when i first saw the crystal skull um when year did it came out again it was 2008 i think yeah 2008 yeah, so I I didn't go into that with a lot of nostalgia or expectations, and from what I can remember, I thought it was fine, you know, nothing. I wasn't attached to it enough to be really offended by it, as some others were, um, because at the time of its release and for years after, it was, uh, I think people were pretty harsh on it. Um, but I also, I, again, I also didn't care too much about it to really dig into it if it was right. to see if it was deserved <laughs> yeah. or um i guess that's why now is such an interesting time to revisit it because now we have that as you said that kind of second um legacy sequel going uh, or coming up and um you already start to see like some people changing their opinion a little bit on, on the crystal skull or at least uh doing some revisionism uh trying to do some some attempt at reappreciation, or at least to give it another sh another opportunity to see, like, oh, maybe there was something here, or maybe not, or, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, watching it now, I still felt it was mostly fine. You know, it, I, I think it still carries the same tropes. It still, it still has. It, it was directed by Steven Spielberg, so it does still have that. Uh, solid like camera work it has a solid presentation yeah um i think it does also some interesting things thematically in the way that it kind of reflects a little bit not as explicitly as i think the next movie will probably do it but a little bit on the kind of the nature on the of the treasure hunting film and the implications of um you know basically the way the genre is rooted in kind of these colonial um dynamics yeah um which you know not to immediately uh, say that <laughs> makes it problematic but it's <laughs> right <laughs> there, there are certain dynamics there about the way we treat like the yeah the what to us is the foreign world and the way we treat like stories of adventure into that world and yeah um i think this movie does um try to steer a little bit more sensitively into 
um there's sort of dynamics but an implicit update on those themes in the sense that it's about like returning an artifact to a location yes, exactly yeah. um there like there's a slightly different sensibility in how it engages with that but then you still get to those places and have like some you know like what is coded as like savages like running mm-hmm. out and screaming and they're kind of nameless and faceless so it it like there's a there's an interesting like you know, it's going, it's, it's engaging with those ideas a little bit, but it's, it obviously can't like leave them entirely behind just because I think the nature of the franchise, like is, is almost too steeped in it. But that's one thing I'd be very interested to see how like 2008 was still pretty early on in like kind of some of the like rising mainstream cultural awareness of some of these issues, at least in like, you know, Hollywood, America. Um, so you know, I think it would be very interesting to see what like a 2023 version of Indiana Jones looks like. I, I, I expect we'll probably see a little bit more explicit engagement with some of those themes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the crystal skull also, besides the things that you mentioned, it also has that, um, somewhat outdated trope where the alien civilization was actually the uh, facilitator of ancient human civilizations, which um, I don't know. It's kind of I, I, I wouldn't say it's. I'm not sure if it's like rooted in racism or more like a sort of. Uh, can, can you be like racist towards the past? The and, past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's this kind of thing where you we we tend to assume that that technological and just like knowledge has a certain linear progression that we are now at the peak of yeah which denies i think a lot of the ingenuity that and the resourcefulness and the just the wisdom and even like technical know-how that uh, a lot of more ancient civilizations had including our own like our own direct ancestors that uh, have actually been lost with time so there's actually you know, as much as technology has been growing, there has also been a loss of knowledge in other areas. And to therefore look back and say, or look at all the things that we were able to do or that people used to be able to do that we now no longer know how they were done and say, oh, it's probably aliens or something. That's, right. there, there is a certain denial there of, or a certain d- dismissal of the value of those cultures and of our own past essentially um yeah which uh, has become a bit of a trope in these kinds of stories and which yeah. is not something that um i think is really fair as a because it, yeah it, it does kind of perpetuate that worldview that uh progress is this linear line and that this kind of negotiation between um information that is gained and information that is lost and so yeah 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 well, that especially the idea of like knowledge and some of that, like yeah. whether or not it's good, you know, as a whole or like, I don't know, we'll get into that because this movie is going, going into interesting territory towards the yeah. end of that as well. So, but I think we should maybe hit some of the more basic stuff um, be- before we, we dive yeah. too deep into. What um, was your relation to Indiana Jones? Um, I also don't don't have you, a super nostalgic attachment to did this. Did you dress up as indie when you were young? <laughs> no, I would have loved, like, if I had been able to watch these movies, like, as a really young kid, even though they probably would have, 
you know, been a little spooky to me or a little mm-hmm. scary. Uh, I, I would have loved the adventure aspect of it. Um, but mostly like, you know, I kind of came to them later as a teenager and watched them like late at night at sleepovers while I was like half falling asleep. Uh, so kind of similar to you, it, w- it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until kind of later in my adulthood that I evaluated them more kind of as filmmaking objects or like, yeah, yeah. you know, appreciate, tried to appreciate them for sort of the, the, the filmmaking itself. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have that super strong nostalgic attachment that, that some people have as well, which is, you know, I guess just for people who are listening to this, who might apologies, we don't, we're not coming from <laughs> that context. So we might, uh, but that does inform how people come at this. I was looking, I was looking back at some of the reviews of Crystal Skull just to try to like refresh my um, my understanding of like how it was received at the time. And you can see two ways in the reviews where the nostalgia really, I think, uh, like affects people's view. And one was people having an overly harsh reaction where it's just like, oh, they violated some kind of like thing that i feel is essential to this like story or or these characters or this ip and And, sacredness yeah and therefore it's garbage (laughs) or the other thing is there was a lot of people who were like "Eh, it's not a good movie but at least we're getting another indiana jones and like they're just happy to like see these characters again um and that's another way i think nostalgia informs a sequel like this too where you know sometimes you're like meh was it that good Mm -hmm. i don't know but like it was fun anyway, just to like see, you know, Harrison Ford run around and put on the hat and use the whip and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I don't know. I just, I think it's, that was just something I noticed that I think is interesting in how like nostalgia can like yeah. push reception of a film almost in two, uh, two different directions at once. Yeah. I think there's also just this in sort of inherent, undercurrent of melancholy in a lot of these early legacy sequels where it's uh, we talked about this in the episode on scream five scream six where, where, where um, scream six where were we at yeah. with that one yeah. scream six where you had the sort of first wave of legacy sequels which included scream four uh maybe rocky balboa uh rambo maybe die hard four uh, and I think then Indiana Jones uh, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, which I think were at this time more defined by also having the old creators come back. It was right. more of a sort of like one more like final round for your classic beloved heroes. So they were more focused on, like I think in all of those movies, there's at least one joke of how the main protagonist, in this case Indiana Jones, is now an old man and not who we used to be, which kind of infuses these stories with that inherent madness. Like, oh, you remember him from yeah. when he was young. Now he's sad and old, you know, <laughs> even though he's not, he's not as sad as he, uh... I think, you know, there's a movie like uh, Logan came out later, but right. I think Logan kind of embodies the, the, this first wave of legacy sequels in the sense that it's, um, it's very much centered on the old and aging hero who is kind of on his way out and reflecting on that. Um, but even though that movie kind of cheated because it came out like 
two years after the previous one in which he was still in his prime, uh, so to say. Um, and then came the like the, the second wave of legacy sequels was more, I think, almost pretty much kicked off by The Force Awakens, where it was more of this, uh, we now have a new generation of filmmakers who were fans of the original works, and they are now giving it a truly like new... Uh, refreshing take or like uh, they're truly like rebooting it for a new audience where legacy sequels can or legacy characters can come back but mostly in support of like a new cast who is truly like being established as now the 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 main characters um i'm not sure if that's going to happen in indiana jones and the dial of destiny but i'm guessing there's going to be a little bit more of that that than in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, um, because even here, like this, uh, Shia LaBeouf as um, Mutt, who is yeah. later revealed to be Indy's son, um, which kind of has that element, like, oh, we're passing on the torch, and, like there's a new adventurer coming up, but then in the end, it's still very much Indy's story, at least in this movie. Yeah, like they kind of they almost use that as like a um like a twist like a kind of deconstruction of that element where at the end there's there's literally a moment where like the hat blows up to to mutt and it's like he goes to put it on and you know uh indy kind of swipes it from him and it's like yeah not Mm -hmm. yet at least yeah Uh, (laughs) and then shia got into trouble and then it was never again (laughs) i do what well i do wonder if like if if shia hadn't essentially like had the trajectory that he has had if we may have actually gotten like instead of the the new legacy sequel that we're we're getting now with Harrison Ford yet again we would have gotten like you know a Shia reboot or something um or maybe just Shia would have been back i'm assuming they just write him out of this this new film in some way <laughs> um but because he's not in it as far as yeah. as far as i'm aware um but yeah, it's interesting to, to think about yeah. how that might have affected things. But yeah, either way, I think that's how there's the kind of nostalgia also yeah. kind of seeps into that more, uh, in, into a kind of meta textualness that I th- think some people just don't enjoy. I think I know right. that you do, but uh, me for me, less so generally. But uh, I think that was the issue with a lot of these early legacy sequels is that there was just no way of avoiding having to remind people like oh your your heroes are aging and so are you you know (laughs) this in this one i feel like harrison ford almost hasn't aged i didn't i didn't feel this play out in real time so if i had Mm -hmm. watched the originals as they were coming out and then seen this one in 2008 with the gap in between maybe i would have felt differently but like looking back on them now in sequence uh, Harrison Ford almost isn't quite old enough in the Crystal Skull for it to be that interesting. Like yeah. to me, the meta element of this like tired old man coming back is more present in an interesting way, even in The Force Awakens and in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where you can almost like feel this like heaviness to mm-hmm. the character that is brought by like Harrison Ford's age. I think to some extent, and I mean he's an actor, so he's he's doing it on purpose too. But there's like a there's a weight there and a tiredness that informs the character. And we kind of get a little bit of that here, but it's not, it's not 
it's not as profound as I guess now having seen something like, you know, yeah. uh, the force awakens where it feels there. Like you're like, mm. Oh, this guy is weathered. <laughs> um, I actually like that about the uh, crystal skull because it's, it, it, I don't think it's supposed to be a movie or a franchise that's supposed to come with that kind of heavy handedness and that kind right. of wariness. And I think it's also in the nature of Indy's character that he's, you know, because in, in the Star Wars, he was this smuggling adventurer who yeah. naturally uh, runs into issues when he grows older. But uh, Indiana Jones is also this college professor. You know, he's someone who chases knowledge, which is something that you know, a type of character that should be able to age more gracefully and more uh, someone who would actually like acquire more peace of mind over the years. And I like that you kind of see that, that he's still proactive. He's still engaged in the uh, university that he's working. He's still doing his adventures, even though he's maybe a little bit older now, but it definitely doesn't uh, doesn't come back a lot in the actual action when you still see him whipping around or swinging around with the, the whip and stuff and doing all these pretty crazy stunts um surviving a nuclear blast and whatnot and <laughs> <laughs> yes um the movie does test your suspension of disbelief yeah, i think a little bit more <laughs> than the original ones did but which is uh, also what i think a lot of people may be held against it that it you know it's always been a, a there's always been this element of silly adventure, but this one, it's kind of pushing the boundaries of that yeah. and pushing the boundaries of the believability um, to a point where I think for some people it was just too much. I was thinking about that a lot, and, and this this brings me to my primary gripe with this film, mm. uh, which I won't linger on too long, but I want to mention, um, which is not, I don't think is original. Uh, you know, I think it's the main gripe that a lot of people had with it. But, um, but yeah, I was thinking about that a lot, especially watching, uh, the last crusade back to back with this one where it's like the originals, the original trilogy was very, was in its own way over the top and kind of ridiculous. And like these silly things would happen where it's like, oh yeah, there's no way that would be mm -hmm. possible. Uh, so like, it's not that outside the realm of feasibility some of the like it kind of fits in a sense but it does violate some sort of instinctual at least for me it feels less believable and i think mm -hmm. a lot of that has to do with the main issue here i think which is like for me the cgi um and it's it's there's something about the the constraint of having to do things more or less practically to some extent um that spielberg would have had in the in the first three that like um imbues a certain charm into like the into some of there's like a charm and a playfulness but also a tangibility in some of the uh like action set pieces even when they're ridiculous um and this is in line with things we've talked about a little bit, I think, in like our Jurassic mm -hmm. Park discussion or whatever. But there, it's like you can look at the some of the practical effects and you're like, you know, it's fake. But like it, you can also tell that like the actors are like actually doing something. They're like grabbing onto a real thing or like moving mm -hmm. across something that feels very real. And so even though, you know, OK, that's ridiculous, you couldn't 
you couldn't actually like make this jump onto a tank and then like you know do this crazy thing or whatever like you some part of your brain is still kind of tricked by like the sort of visible tangibility of it um and then there's so there's two things that happen when you move into a movie like this and you shift to um a lot of cgi stuff where uh the first being you lose that tangibility and things are are kind of noticeably fake in a slightly different way and then yeah. the other thing that happens is i think because you're using cgi instead of practical effects there's sort of this like larger scale of possibility and so like you kind of, there's this tendency among filmmakers i think to want to like ramp up the the size of the set pieces and that does not necessarily like make for better more interesting stuff and so like instead of like a more contained set piece that you could have done practically where you know this tank is crashing off a cliff and you just have to jump off of it at the right time you have a bit where like a boat is falling into a tree and then down into a thing yeah. and you're going down waterfall after waterfall and it just like it stretches like too far the the like capacity yeah. to be like on board with sort of the um yeah the believability yeah it, i think it also just contradicts the internal logic of the story that's right being set up because i think originally like in the end the first indiana jones it had it had like the ark of the covenant it had like very sci-fi science fiction elements at the end yeah. of it uh, but for some reason that's nobody went saw that and was like oh that's now it's no longer believable because it's right. established like this is a world where magic does in fact exist or the there are these uh, magical artifacts that have ancient powers or religious powers or whatever um so it is a world with magic but at the same time indiana jones was also established as a very much any ordinary person who had the same physical limits and capabilities mostly as an any ordinary man um and then when you get to a movie like this where you uh, uh have him surviving a nuclear blast and then having him go down right. not one waterfall but like two more <laughs> right. with each being in increasingly more intense than the than the last it just yeah it, it also kind of it, it just strips away from that direct relatability to the just to the relatability to the characters and the believability of their um uh their internal logic or um yeah sort of i don't think we should linger here too long because this is probably yeah. the most um like discussed portion of this movie but two, two things mm -hmm. i want to say before we move on which is you already kind of mentioned it but i i still really appreciate the uh steven spielberg's ability to like construct like it does reveal looking at something like this does reveal the benefit still of having someone who really understands like visually how to move the camera and construct a scene even when you're like mm, too much cgi like there's still a artfulness with how he's portraying it that i that i don't see in a lot of like other more contemporary like cgi uh spectacle films that i really appreciate so it, like 
And I think there's also still more practical stuff here yes. than people give it credit for, I think. Especially yeah. if you compare it to newer movies where like entire scenes will be CGI. Here you can kind of see like, oh, this is all CGI, but this little bit, that's real. And uh, that weirdly made me appreciate the realness also a little bit more, um, even though it kind of stands in that stark contrast with the, the part of the screen that's obviously fake. But, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think where that hurts, I think where the CGI hurts it the most is like in the action set pieces. So like where they're that scene where they're driving through the jungle and they're just like, you know, Shia LaBeouf sword fighting Kate Blanchett and stuff like that. Yeah. It, like that scene to me, I'm just like, okay, you know, cool, cool. It has none of the excitement of, for example, like, you know, uh, young indie like running over it and like the chase across the train at the beginning of the Chris, uh, at the beginning of the last crusade or, or like other car chases. I think the, the one at the beginning of the very Raiders of the lost Ark, there, there's like, there you can t there's such a there's such like a that that tangibility there in those moments really like really impacts how the scene feels to me at least when it's like one where they're like going through a cave a little bit and or like a, a fake environment and you can tell like oh there's some cgi thrown in here to like spruce up the the set a little bit then it doesn't bother me too much because it's no you know it doesn't it doesn't impact sort of the visceral excitement of oh this action feels real or like the stakes feel real in a certain way um so anyway uh yeah we can we can we can move on to more interesting yeah the the one last thing i, I forgot to mention earlier is that the with the when i was talking about this being established as a universe with magical stuff uh, for me, that's also why I actually don't mind the inclusion of aliens at the end of Crystal Skull. Like, I feel like a lot of people complained about that, but I feel like that's more in line with the original right. works than um, than people generally give the credit for. In my yeah. opinion, that is one of one of the tropes of the series is kind of like that the thing he's looking for and the magic of it is a little bit real. Or yeah, yeah. is real, you know, within the context of the story. So that doesn't doesn't feel like a um a violation to me. Yeah, Although there's yeah. a distinct shift, and this would be interesting to talk about, from like a, a mythology exploring mythologies that are rooted in the past and history to one that it has more of like a futuristic waiting. Um and there's something about like maybe the sensibility from you know, whenever the last one was released in the 80s to 2008, where there's a shift of perspective there. But how do, how do you mean a future like, perspective? Or? Well, you go from, you go from, you know, so you watch the old one and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, there's this artifact from the past that, you know, is maybe a little bit magical, but that magic is rooted in like the possibility of the realness of some kind of ancient religion or philosophy or whatever it is mm. or yeah, artifact yeah. or magic that's in the past and then uh there's this shift almost to this more like modernist sensibility in the in the 2008 one where it's like yeah we're still like looking for these artifacts that are in the past but they're informed specifically by like it's it, i almost wonder if like it in aliens feel more conceivable as like a possibility for the origin of magic now than like a 
a traditional religion or something like that, which might have mm. felt, you know, I don't know, maybe people in the 80s were like, eh, whatever. But uh, I, I don't know if there's just something about the cultural shift. Yeah. You know, it's just interesting to me that you have this like gap in time and then you come back and it, it shifts from, you know, real magic in the past to real magic in the future. <laughs> like aliens aren't necessarily... Yeah you know i mean they feel more pl like i think they feel more plausible to a lot of people now because they're like you know oh that old stuff isn't real but we don't like it's not like we have scientific any any scientific indication that something like what is depicted in this film is is any more real than like a holy grail necessarily yeah. um it just feels you know more plausible within our current worldview framework as a culture yeah it's a more secular approach i guess than a religious one would be or as the ones uh right, original right. ones did yeah. yeah i guess that might also be a good segue into the more the thematic stuff about what the aliens represent what the how the story comments on its own uh the other earlier tropes that sort of stuff um i'm not sure to what extent this is really thematically relevant but that's obviously the transition the historical transition from a world war ii setting to a more cold war setting which is very firmly established like it's not just background it's like very much at the foreground uh where you have this evil russian played by kate uh blanchett who's out to find this crystal skull for some kind of psycho uh warfare uh telepathy uh, I, i'm not sure exactly what her idea was but a big weapon a big weapon which but i a think is a weapon relevant. of the mind not a weapon right. of um like not a nuclear weapon more right. of a uh, which i guess kind of plays into that whole red scare and the idea that the russians aren't just gonna throw bombs but they're gonna like infect the brain and the mind and the spirit and that sort of stuff um I, I guess it's kind of maybe that, that i think that spielberg may have been doing that a little bit tongue-in-cheek where it kind of right, yeah. sort of jokingly looks back now on how ridiculous that whole red scare was um i'm not sure that it was but i'm guessing that it was at least a little bit do, think... do you think that carries any any important significance the the cold war setting for this uh... story well, I got uh, watching it again. I got a little bit excited because um, the, I think talking about this might make a a nice little pro uh, unofficial prologue to our uh, n cinema of nuclear dread series that we're going to be doing leading up to Oppenheimer. Um, so we'll be discussing Doctor Strangelove, uh, then some other films, and then discussing Oppenheimer ultimately. So we'll be doing that soon. And uh, if you want to get access to those uh, uh, like early in time for Oppenheimer, you can listen on on Nebula. But I got a little bit excited watching this when I saw some of these this stuff coming up. And I was like, oh, this is going to, you know, this will be like the feed into our thematic discussion of nuclear dread. But then it just kind of it kind of sets it as some context and then just kind of drops it. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't feel like it really went anywhere with that. 
it's maybe returning to it a little bit at the end where it's like maybe it's saying you know Kate Blanchett's character at the end is like I want to know everything there's some like weird connection between like the search for all knowledge and creating you know like weaponry that is too powerful uh like you know there's maybe some vague allusion to to those things um but ultimately yeah i didn't really feel like it engaged with that that material there's a little bit of a callback there i think to the ark of the covenant and the idea of right humans being too grandiose and wanting to deal with forces that are beyond their capability um which in that movie was more came more in this religious context but here it seemed um yeah it came more from uh, maybe that kind of nuclear um cold war ish um perspective even though as you as you uh, pointed out there's some friction there between what is really suggested at the end like is it about knowledge is it about knowing everything and that being too much or is it about meddling with these uh, literal forces of nature that lead to literal destruction um, which I think was kind of poorly communicated and um, but I guess that's also not really what people are uh, going to see in Indiana right. Jones for, for <laughs> yeah for a very deep thematic journey into human hubris it's not like the the old ones had like super deep explorations of like the nature of fascism mm-hmm. or something like that. That that was always kind of a a backdrop, I think, for the yeah. the adventure. Yeah, because I guess that's what the main thematic content is: kind of the nature of adventure, and which in itself has become a little bit uh, contentious uh, due to um, more like voices from the global south or voices from places that uh where the lost arcs are that were raided by indiana jones types uh characters so yeah what do you think that of that in general the way how did you how would you summarize like the critique on adventure movies and treasure hunting and how do you relate to that personally? Like, do, yeah. does it affect the way you approach these movies, or can you still enjoy them with the additional context in mind? Or how do you go about go about this? I I can still mostly enjoy them and appreciate them, although you know I'm mm-hmm. coming from the context that isn't really being offended in this case. Yeah. Uh, so you know I can only speak for myself. Um, but I do, you know there is there is just kind of inherently like a sort of colonialist i mean not sort of there is like a colonialist like perspective or context to even kind of the setup and framing of these stories um i think it's interesting to see how sort of in the original trilogy indy's cast against he's shown in light against the villains are always the ones who like they want the artifact for its power for what it will give them you know monetarily or the it's going to give mm-hmm. them some kind of ability or they can uh you know harness it in some way for their own goals and india is shown as being the one who has more of this pure like in the eyes of the movie this this pure i like ideology of like it belongs in a museum is this thing that he says like oh that that should go 
in a museum. I'm just here to like, with a respect for the past and for yeah, history yeah. and like these things. Um, but now that's, you know, that, that perspective is, has, you know, I think for good reason been pretty heavily critiqued. Um, because it's like that, that is such a sort of Euro, uh, Western, you know, first world centric view of like, oh, we're going to go to another place and sort of rescue these artifacts of the past and then like bring them back to where we hold them. Um, and there's a lot of work that's currently being done to kind of like reevaluate like literally stuff in museums all over the world uh, mm -hmm. or in the first world, not all over the world to, to, with the goal of making them potentially be more all over the world or returning some of these kind of to, um, to the ownership of, you know, the people who they were taken from or stolen from. Yeah. Um, we talked in our wind river episode about sort of the relationship between the native American peoples in, in America, in the United States and the government there. And, um, there's a big effort right now to like return a lot of, uh, artifacts and things that have been taken from, you know, where they were found or, you know, placed in United States museums or private collections or whatever to the people who they would have originally belonged to and allowing them to decide what they want to do with them. Um, you know, and I think like a lot of that, that, that all makes sense to me. I think, you know, this, the, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird position to like, essentially like claim you have some kind of over ownership of something on the basis of like, we have, we're trying to collect knowledge about the past and therefore that gives me, sort of the right to mm -hmm. go like take it for myself. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of the context in which like Indiana Jones exists as like this adventure who's going to go like grab this artifact. But also it's like, it's a fake, like it's a, it's also, so, you know, on one hand that, and I think those critiques are fair. On the other hand, like he's obviously like basically a cartoon version of an archeologist. Like, yeah. None of these things actually exist in the form that we see them in these movies where it's like there's booby traps and you go in and you like push if you like push on the right stones like this thing pops out it's almost like it's almost like the the artifacts were like waiting for somebody to like come in and like put in the right you know mm -hmm. combination for the safe and then take them and like there's almost this feeling that like because indiana jones is the one who can figure it out then like that gives him more ownership to to be able to take it because it was almost like placed there waiting to be taken mm -hmm. um i don't know so there's something weird about that in the framework of the movie too how do you uh, how yeah how, how do you feel about this stuff yeah i find it interesting i can obviously not speak to what this means to people who live in the global south or in the countries that we tell these kinds of stories about and uh, make these make up for these kind of like mythologies for our own entertainment, but I uh, I find it more interesting from you know from a purely white perspective, I guess, and the idea of the losing a myth that we uh, found valuable or found entertaining in the past, because that's kind of what's happening from our perspective. Like we, uh, 
are kind of forced to re-evaluate re a part of ourselves and a part of our, not just of what we find entertaining, but also kind of the underlying worldview that it um, hints at, which in this case is, as you said, like the idea that we, that stuff in ancient tombs halfway around the world are, you know, are fair game, you know, that it's ours for the taking and that we cannot even conceive of letting things like that just right. be, that we yeah. just have this natural, or at least I guess it's not natural, but like this cultural uh, instinct to go scour the world for these hidden treasures and interesting little things. And um, I'm not sure, I guess there's some part of that, which is, I find it always, I always find it hard to separate that, the kind of the cultural aspect of that from the more instinctive human urge to just Collect. desire adventures <laughs> right. and just to want to go. I think people have a natural curiosity to unfamiliar places. And, you know, from our perspective, like a lot of the global South are unfamiliar places. Like for me, I'd even say like for a long time, the United States for me, I was just as exotic as South America or something to me, even though, um, Later, I realized, obviously, there's more connections that I have with right. West or the United States culture than with maybe South American ones. Um, but still, yeah, it, it, it's hard to let to kind of navigate that balance between to what extent can you enjoy, you know, a sort of neutral or benign kind of exoticism, like just enjoying right. something new, enjoying strange new worlds or, uh, you know, in real life or in fiction. Um, and to what extent does that become or where does that become, uh, you know, more of that invasive thing for people who already live in those places that you then venture into as a tourist or uh, as a treasure hunter or whatever. Um, so yeah, that that's something that I find interesting. I'm not sure how what the best like if I had to tell a story like Indiana Jones, like I'm not sure what the right approach would be, other than to maybe you know what you can see in like Black Panther, like just hand it off completely to someone, right, uh, to a character from that culture who's coming to ours to take something back, but then uh, that would kind of lose that aspect of adventure because then to us it then it really becomes a story about uh purely on the the kind of the colonial um aspect of it and not so much the adventure because you know i feel like there is something about these kind of movies that demand foreign places and right. if you make movies in the united states yet yeah, then it's it's hard to kind of flip that premise around and have the United States be the place that's that's foreign to the main character and uh, or for Europe uh, for that matter that's why we have to make um, movies about space now uh, yeah <laughs> I, I thought about I thought about the movie um, uh, not alien is it Covenant which one Prometheus uh, a couple times oh, watching yeah. this one um, for various yeah, that's reasons an, <laughs> but that that is actually that is pretty much a sort of treasure hunt movie yeah, yeah. but then it's it's kind of like it sidesteps the whole issue by 
kind of presenting like this story where it's ooh, strange new foreign land with ancient civilization but not one that you really right. have to care about you know <laughs> it's, or it's technically us in the future or there's some kind of yeah. like you know there's not a yeah i don't know yeah i was thinking about this and like the 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 whole construct of like adventure um to begin with and i think like kind of one of the critiques of you know this is something we've talked about before you've you've discussed on your channel but like you know how do we frame sort of like the call to adventure how do we frame you know adventure as as something that isn't isn't colonial that doesn't like have you know that doesn't cast necessarily like an outside enemy um yeah you know and like not that we can never have enemies but it's i i think it's interesting how like a lot of these frameworks about how we approach the world as sort of a hero kind of involve you know structuring the story the narrative in yeah. a certain way where it's like we exist in a place that's familiar to us there's unknown stuff out there and you go into that world uh and it's kind of hostile um you know yeah. maybe there are good examples this is something i'd love to hear from our listeners you can let us know on our discord um or on twitter or something if you if you can think of any good examples that like model sort of a an event an adventure story and sort of this traditional structure but in a way that um is sort of like has a respect for sort of the the territory that it's going into instead of yeah. more of like a adversarial uh it, it doesn't i don't think it has to be adversarial necessarily i think it just uh more uh, basically it it has a exploited civilization or an right. civilization that is to be exploited or yes, something yes. some other that functions as or some other that contains something that we can then extract from yes. that culture or civilization or um whatever yeah um even if they're not being hostile about it towards us you know we still right. uh then want to go in and take it for some reason yeah no yeah yeah it's 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 an interesting discussion i don't i don't have uh have good answers for it i think hmm. people are working to just be better and more sensitive about these things by shifting the context you know by actually you know if you're going to tell a story where you go to a place actually represent people from that place uh you know that's a good kind of yeah. first step that's something that i was actually missing in crystal skull a little bit i think because it was even less there than some of the previous indiana jones movies where i felt like there was never a moment where we were in like the foreign city with right. the foreign with the local people or i felt like it were all these more nebulous jungle area or now right. this kind of place it, it was never like a true sense of place for it didn't feel like there were actually any other cultures really represented in this movie it almost went the the top gun maverick route of like trying to avoid yeah. being problematic by just making it as nameless and faceless as as possible yeah. uh and then just creating like an avatar yeah. of of another 
But to me, that also actually detracted a little bit from the yeah. the sense of exoticism that, that you know the enjoyable kind where it's fun like to explore like a different a new city or new culture or get to see like how different people live on film, which can be very interesting and at least to me is always fascinating, uh, especially when that then is presented with some kind of accuracy, you know, like, uh, right. I don't know, Lawrence of Arabia, for for example, which, uh, you know, was really like shot on location. And uh, I think the first Indiana Jones also had plenty of um, scenes that were actually set in um, like these Middle Eastern cities. I, I don't remember exactly where, where it all took place, but uh, North African maybe, but... Um, it, it felt like the story went places in a way that the Crystal Skull doesn't really do. And that, um, yeah, it actually becomes, as you said, like more culturally empty almost in a way that's also detracts from uh, the whole, the, the, the bigger experience of adventure, at least right. for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a needle to thread there between uh like sensitivity and representation and not like culturally appropriating or exploiting a culture and then also just like being like well we're just not gonna represent or show any culture other than our own in movies ever yeah. like that's obviously to me to me seems obviously like also the wrong risk like way to approach the situation um yeah. but i you know it, it's <laughs> it's complicated i guess um yeah it's difficult because if you it it feels like it's, it's a critique that if you take it too far, it also kind of undermines the whole point of its own story. Like if you right. have this adventure story and you also critique it all the way and, you know, kind of fill it with white guilt to the point where it doesn't become enjoyable at all, then, you know, why then even make the movie unless you just right. specifically want to point out just the, um, the anti-colonialism of it all. But I'm, <laughs> right. I'm guessing there's more interesting ways to do that to then to just make a, or then just making a sort of cynical adventure movie that's right. almost blaming you for wanting to go in and enjoy it. Um, I will say in the context of Indiana Jones, like especially mm -hmm. these, the, the most recent two movies, I think, you know, as much as some of the things we've discussed are there, there's also this element of like pulling back from that a little bit in the sense that part of the trope is there's also these bad guys who are after this thing. So Indiana Jones kind of is going in there to sort of like prevent them from doing something bad with the thing, which does yeah. I feel like pull back from this. Like he's just going in for his own gain. And then there's also the shift we see in the last crusade where it's kind of like the, the thematic like movement of that movie is sort of like, let it go. Like by the end, you're just like letting the, the, the grail just sort of, go uh you know you're not becoming attached to like needing this thing and then by the time we get to the crystal skull it's it's like we're trying to take this thing and like put it back in the place that it came from um instead of like you know hoarding it for a museum or, or whatever um so i think there is sort of this like thematic progression there where we see yeah you know indy as a character isn't himself as much as he's engaging in this activity that like contextually is rooted in like this colonialist archaeology activity of archaeology he himself as a character is not motivated on the page or on the screen by the very like by those more negative elements that i think we're talking about 
Um, yeah, he's he's not directly or explicitly malicious, but he is. I think maybe in the beginning, like um, maybe just implicitly so, or like in a benign way, where it's it's like he has the genuine appreciation for the artifact, but he still wants to take it and bring it yeah. along to his own museum instead of just truly let it exist where it where it is. Which I think that. I wonder to what extent there's some cultural, um, just some cultural artifact there about why we have such a strong desire to just want to have things and want to capture things in some way, whether it's like knowledge or like these concrete um, weird artifacts from uh, these hidden temples or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm not sure to what extent that's a thing in other cultures that aren't, historically speaking, haven't been right. like engaged in these colonial practices and were more, at yeah. least, um, I'm guessing here, maybe a little bit more content than we are with the world around them as it is without feeling the need to kind of um, take it all in and like... Uh, organize it in a way that is that we find satisfactory and that we uh, uh, the way in we see it uh, so to say yeah um, so yeah I think the, the what you pointed out is a good uh, path or at least some progression towards something that's more restorative even um, instead of exploitative but um, yeah I'm, I'm not sure how it's uh, it's for me. It, I find it such a difficult genre to, quote unquote, fix in that sense because it, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> because in the in the essence of it, you know, the the whole puzzle and the secret artifact and going in and avoiding like the 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 arrows shooting out of the walls and then taking the things and having like your little treasure like that's it's so ingrained in the genre as being part of the fun and being part of the. Uh, kind of escapist fantasy of adventure that it's it, it's hard to really find a way around that I think without yeah. um, uh, without just doing away with the genre entirely or doing away with that story structure entirely you kind of have it in movies like National Treasure or like the Da Vinci mm -hmm. Code where it's like the thing where the thing the adventurer is exploring is sort of their own history or their own past their own mm -hmm. you know it's it's not colonial in the sense that it's going back in on itself um the problem is those movies aren't as good in terms of filmmaking or you know the... I, I really like the first national treasure one yeah young. yeah they're I fun i've seen I... that like dozens of times <laughs> it's been a long time since i've seen that one so maybe maybe <laughs> it's better than i'm uh, remembering they're not terrible yeah. but i'm like, not sure it is but <laughs> i don't think anyone would rank them like on the level of of like the best mm -hmm. indie Indiana Jones movies. I just mean in the sense of like, they're not Steven Spielberg movies that are, uh, you know, uh, highly regarded and really well mm -hmm. crafted and shot. But National I mean, Treasure in that sense was it. an interesting example of a movie that really dove into its own history and made that as exciting as going to some uh, distant temple from a culture that nobody knows. Yeah. Um, in some ways even more interesting because it also then reframes the familiar or it kind of dives into your own history and uh, I guess we see the same with the Da Vinci Code but more for Europeans uh, 
because I think National Treasure, yeah, that one took entirely entirely took place in the United States. I yeah, think. I think so. Um, yeah. So I guess it can be done in. Uh, it can be made interesting on the right, right. just like the home home front. Yeah. So it's like you could do you could do like a heist movie where um, indigenous people like raid the the British National Museum <laughs> and take back. <laughs> that's one way you could do it. <laughs> I guess that's what something like you know how to blow up. I haven't seen how to blow up a pipeline, um, but that's more of like a progressive, uh, maybe um, leftist sort of context context for sort of like a an adventure that has some element but then like anything you anything you do that with is going to garner some type of um you know more controversial stance i don't know it'll be interesting I'll, I'll be interested to see what what the new indiana J- jones does and my guess is if it engages with these topics we've been discussing in any kind of interesting way people will be like oh no indiana jones is is woke now <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. See what happens. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up uh, is kind of the—I uh, don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I—I found it interesting. Was like the personal story that's happening in this movie. Hmm. Um, you know, Indy is getting back together with uh, Marion. He has a son. There's like this familial drama that kind of echoes the Last Crusade, where. He's sort of like, you know, reconnecting with his dad and there's all this, there's all this tension there. Um, And I don't have much to say about that, except (laughs) watching these with the context of, um, and I'm not the only person that said this, I think uh, David Singer is his name, the the film critic wrote something about this. Um, But watching these now with the context of the Fablemans, and looking back on these, oh, yeah. this sub, this like familial text and subtext that's in uh, Spielberg's movies gives it to me like a little bit more weight. Where it's like it's a little bit more interesting because you can see how personal maybe this stuff was to him that he was putting in there. It's not just like oh, I'm going to add a little spice up a little drama by like throwing in a lo- some some themes about you know family mm-hmm. like the themes about family that is being th- is thrown into these movies are, we now know like based on the Fablemans, like pretty relevant to stuff that Spielberg has dealt with in his life. Um, but I just find that interesting that like embedded in the midst of these crazy madcap adventures are these like the most poignant emotional moments of the film center around these issues that ultimately were very relevant to to Spielberg, which, you know, I guess they say write what you know, so that's a good, yeah, a good way to do it. But I, th- I found that interesting. Um, yeah, I don't have many thoughts on that, except for that uh, one thing I did like is that once Indy finds out that Mutt is actually his son, he's not like, oh, I don't want it, like he, but instead he's right. like immediately takes on this father role <laughs> right, and right. immediately becomes like this overbearing character to this person who he has known for just like five days at this point yeah yeah uh which i thought was kind of fun and an interesting subversion of the um how that usually goes where that's that phase of rejection and denial and um yeah i like the way how he just straight up embraced it and went with it i guess yeah yeah the the um 
the the two things that really stood out to me were kind of like Mutt's theme of like not being involved in school and Indy's relative supportiveness of that is like directly a reflection of Spielberg wanting to leave school in order to pursue filmmaking. Um, and then there's also a moment where right after or right before the hat blows into Mutt and then he like doesn't put it on because Indy takes it. Uh, he's filming the he's filming the the wedding which is hmm. uh, like feels like a, a very personal um uh, yeah spielberg yep. is spielberg is already like inserting some little uh some little notes about his own life into these mm-hmm. the dynamic the dynamic between the dynamic between mutt and indy ultimately though i found what wasn't quite as funny as um all the bits between his dad and in the previous episode or the previous previous <laughs> previous we're just it's just tv at this point <laughs> tune Spielberg in extended <laughs> universe tune in soon for the uh the next yeah. episode of the indiana jones show it's been a long time coming but yeah but yeah i, I agree i felt like the mud in the relation was serviceable at best yeah um it had some fun moments that's also where like classic Spielberg comes in where they meet at the diner and then they start this fight and immediately it's like the, the greasers <laughs> right. versus jocks and I like the way he kind of he, he he went a little bit musical with it almost uh yeah you know at least it felt like a bit of West Side Story ish uh but yeah that sort of stuff like that reminded me oh yeah this is definitely a Steven Spielberg movie and not um not a modern one like that. that's yeah. the kind of stuff that we don't really see anymore nowadays maybe until next week until uh when the the next indiana jones comes out but right. <laughs> i'm sure i'm not sure to what extent it will dare to lean into that kind of cheesiness but uh, yeah. yeah i guess we'll see we will find out <laughs> all right uh well thanks everybody for listening if you want to catch the next episode right now you can listen to that on nebula just go to cinema of meaning tv slash nebula link is in the description below you can also check out our patreon where you can join our discord tell us how upset you are that we ruined your beloved indiana jones by talking about <laughs> uh, how he's a colonialist uh, apologies but yeah you can do that in our discord uh, link is in the description below and uh, we will catch you next time <laughs>